and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Yes, it's Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are going to be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. It's the Ag PhD Field Day coming up next Thursday. That's Thursday, July 27th. We would love to have you join us on our farm. It's our way of saying thanks to you for listening to us here on Ag PhD Radio. You can go to agphd.com to learn more about this free event that we host each year. Last year we had about 12,000 people come from across the country and around the world. And again, we'd love to have you join us for this. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. We have all kinds of research plots, lots of great guest speakers lined up for you to listen to. And if you're looking at the weather, you might say, hey, it looks like it could be a little warm that day. Look, I'm praying for cool weather, so I'm going to hope it's cool. But we start at 7 a.m. <laughs> it's always cool at 7 a.m. And we've got most of our outdoor kind of stuff uh, mostly done. And granted, we have outdoor things going on the whole time. But my point here is after about 1040 in the morning, um, you can be under tent, uh, inside air conditioned sheds. Uh, we've got food for you. So, I mean, most of our real outdoor stuff where you're kind of going to be out in the sun, that's done by 1030, 1040 in the morning anyway. So it's going to be nice and cool that morning. Should be great. But anyway, again, it's the Ag PhD Field Day. That's next Thursday, July 27th. It's the last Thursday every year, so you can just mark it on your calendar for all future years coming up as well. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, uh, we get questions like this every so often, but uh, there's a picture that came in, and this one is from Rollin, and he said, Hey, guys. I was walking through a field of dark red kidney beans, and I stumbled upon this single plant. And and first of all, I'll caution you there, Rowan. Single plant, sometimes there could be just some wacky stuff. But he said uh, it's got a single trifoliate exhibiting strong yellowing of the leaf, but split down the middle. And uh, so you can't see this as you're so listening. there's one but- full yellow leaf and one leaf where half the leaf is yellow and the other side of the leaf is dark green. All right. He said, my coworkers and I are chalking it up to a genetic mutation or a fluke, but just wanted to see if you guys had any ideas. This is in north central Minnesota, irrigated sand. Overall field looks healthy. Even the rest of that plant looks mostly healthy and the plants are beginning to flower. Hey, Rowan, one thing that I saw is if you look real closely at the at the leaves, even on the uh, healthy plants, you see a little bit of a yellow tinge around the outside edges of the leaves. Yep. And a lot of times I see that when we're starting to run short of K. So I would look really hard at what your K levels are. And I'm going to guess that if you're on irrigated sand ground, your K could be a little bit low. And when you get to that stage, when those kidney beans start flowering, they have such a high daily demand for K that it's tough for those plants to get it. So that that's one thing that I noticed. But you know what? We see the same thing on corn, on soybeans, on just about every crop. Occasionally you'll see a leaf like that. Something happened there that that's cutting off um, the flow right. of, of nutrients back and forth. And that's why yep. it's on half the leaf and not the other. Yeah. It's very odd, though. Very strange. This one, it's a stark difference. It's dark green to bright yellow on the other side of the leaf. We don't normally see things like that. So yeah, it's some kind of fluke. But like Darren said, something's cutting off the flow of nutrients or 
other things that are going on in that plant. So don't know exactly what that is, but thankfully it, it looks like just a, a one-off kind of deal. All right. Uh, I got this in from Matt, and he said, I've got a question concerning wheat pre-harvest herbicides and would like your opinion. I've got a wheat field that has kochia and Russian thistle that got out of control in areas of the field. It's going to make harvest a challenge. Is there a herbicide or combination of products you would recommend? I was thinking AIM with Roundup or 2,4-D, but not sure if that's the best option. We're going to go back to wheat next spring. Okay, so first of all, let's just talk about killing the weeds. If it was so, Roundup is labeled pre-harvest, and you can do that. But unfortunately, it's probably not going to kill the kochia. Might kill the Russian thistle. But yeah, throwing something else with it would be good. Aim would aim would work. Two four D. I mean, there are a number of different products. You just have to look at the pre-harvest interval. And with some of the the herbicides that are out there, it's a couple of weeks. So in other words, you can't be messing around here. If harvest is nearing, you want to get that application done and then go from there. Now, the other thing that I will say is, obviously, this isn't going to help your yield. This isn't going to help you in terms of reducing that seed bank in a lot of cases, because chances are a lot of these things are already going to seed right now. So it's really about harvestability, and I'm guessing that's probably why you want to get this done. So this, I'll just tell you, on our own farm, we just swathed or laid down some some oats here over the last couple of days. Now we did it for a little different purpose. We had to, this is in our Ag PhD field day site and where we're going to have our parking lot and our ride and drive area. So it had to get get finished rather than straight cutting. But I'm just saying, you know, that is the other option too. You just forget about any pre-harvest burn down and then you go, uh, go windrow that, swath that, and then pick it up. So Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry that your your program didn't work too well. In the future, let's just talk about that real quick. If it is in wheat, we do talk highly of Sharpen. That is fantastic pre-emerge. You start with Sharpen, then you follow with something like Husky FX or Wide R Match. You do a two-shot program like that, and you shouldn't see kochia and Russian thistle in the future in areas where the crop is growing well. All right, I get this one from B.A. He said, we've got high calcium, high pH soils. Just curious, we're going to do some fall phosphorus applications. Do you like to use acidic phosphorus products instead of alkaline-like DAP? Uh, Yes. Yes, we do. So when the soil pH is above 7.5, then we really kind of push toward MAP rather than DAP. MAP does have a lower pH, and that would make more sense. Now, I get it if the only thing you can find in your area is DAP, but if I had a choice, I would be going with MAP or something else that is more on the acidic side. Thanks for the question. It is Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show, and we'll be back right after this. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucento fungicide. 
control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a question, we would love to help you with it. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Iowa, get Charlie on with us right now. How's it going, Charlie? Uh, it's going good. So what uh, what is the crop looking like in your area? I'm guessing the corn's all tasseled out. Yeah, we start tasseling on the 3rd of July. Uh, we're, we're spraying fungicide and insecticide on the corn today. Started yesterday late. So uh, our crops are in good condition. We had about three inches of rain last week. And we were really dry, but we're setting pretty fair. Excellent, excellent. So the fungicide, insecticide, is that with tar spot in mind, or have you been doing that practice for a while? Thinking about tar spot, but we've been doing this uh, for several years. You know, when when we look at some of the different diseases out there, and uh, tar spot cer- certainly being one of them that raises a lot of attention, there we we easily forget. Boy, gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight. There's other ones that can pop up. Uh, how about in the soybeans? Do you see the same kind of thing in soybeans? Do you guys focus on fungicide applications there around flowering time too? Uh, we do sometimes. We're not big on fungicide on soybeans um it's an off and on thing with us we sometimes get some response but not a big response you know a lot of our listeners have been hearing about derechos and windstorms and that kind of thing through iowa did any of those get anywhere close to you guys no uh that was in southern iowa we've had some wind up here um our we've had some corn that blew over three weeks ago that didn't snap it and most of our corn looks good. It's just one variety. I won't mention that. Uh, <laughs> that's that's okay. We don't need to badmouth anybody. No, we don't need to get in trouble here. No, no. Uh, hey, let me ask. Variety. Let me ask this question too, Charlie. And and I know as we get late in the season here, and and I, I know we've talked about the wind storms and those kinds of things. How about your grain bins? Have you got grain all marketed, or you guys still have some to sell? I got some corn to sell. I got my beans all marketed. Um, not smart enough that I sold my corn all. 
No, we, a lot of us miss that. But, uh, you know, as we as we head into the, the fall season, obviously a lot of guys like to get those things emptied out. Do you have a target price right now that you're looking for or a target condition or you just have a target date that, you know, if we get to August, well, I better let her go? We got most of the corn out of the bins. Uh, we got one, one bin, one... I think one and a quarter or one and a half bins to haul out yet. And uh, we've just been concentrating on other things and haven't had anybody to haul corn. So Yeah, it's been, uh, been a busy uh, but, summer. Uh, we actually, I don't know if we have a target price. I'm watching for some rallies. We had some last week. and We get them, and they can take them away pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, they sure can. They sure can. So... Well- uh, well, Charlie, great yeah. talking to you. It sounds like you guys are busy here with the fungicide insecticide going on. Uh, good luck with that, and, and we'll talk again down the road. Okay. I, one thing I was going to tell you was asked about the wind. Is our rye is tangled up bad that we're going to combine next week? Oh. So it did affect that. Yep, yep. So, so anyway, but uh, right here in this part of Iowa, we're sounding real fine. Excellent, excellent. Well, hope you get another few inches here between uh, now and corn harvest, too, to, to keep things rocking. I know the soybeans will sure like it when we get into August. Thanks, Charlie. Let's head up to Alberta. we got Jason on with us right now. How's it going, Jason? Not too bad, Darren. Yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. What are you seeing on the canola? We've got uh, canola that's all bloomed and, and looking good down here at the Ag PhD Field Day, but how about where guys actually grow this crop for a living? Yeah, so, I, you know, it's been quite a uh, an early start to the season and a lot of canola, as dry as it's been, you know, a lot of the, the growing area we, where we are here in northern Alberta has had, you know, three inches of rain or less um, for the most part. There's been some, some thunderstorms that have gone through and um, I know there's areas that got a little bit more than that, but we're actually just in a um, canola plot looking at some different uh, hybrids here and and some of the new stuff from uh, from the DeKalb folks, and a lot of canola in the in the plot. It's a nice time to look at it because you know you can see that maturity difference, and and there's quite a bit that's already done uh, flowering, and it's all fully potted out, um, which is probably uh, you know a week or ten days earlier than than what we would typically see up here. You know, most of the time we get flowers right to the end of uh, July, and then then August is is pod time, but. Yeah, to see the canola this far advanced um, here now is is kind of interesting, and a lot of cereal crops too actually are uh, starting to 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 ripen up or I guess dry up and and um, turn color. So I think harvest, you know, depending on you know what the, what the rain situation is here in the next uh, little bit, can give us a little bit of regrowth maybe, but for for the most part, it's it's getting wrapped up pretty quick. Yeah, it's interesting what this heat is doing, and of course you couple that with dry. We all hear about the fires and everything else that, that's going on this year. Uh, we don't talk enough about the crop that's out there that's still trying to hang on and make it. What do you think on the small grains? Uh, is the yield still going to be okay? Uh, it's going to be tough. Like we've had quite a bit of insect pressure. I like I know talking with uh, with growers that very little fungicide was applied, and and a lot of insecticide for for different things, uh, grasshoppers and that kind of thing. We have mostly canola on our farm this year, so it's um, uh, some of the cereals that we do have are winter wheat, and uh, and that looks not too bad. Like, it was able to get a, a bit of an earlier start. We were so dry last year, too, though. That was the interesting thing. Like, it's not just this year. It's kind of a carryover for the last couple of years being being dry. I know I was at another plot tour 
on the uh, British Columbia side here of the piece um, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, guys are talking about 10 inches of rain for basically for the last two years altogether. So it's, uh, it's just, that's not, that's not enough, including snow and everything else to, to grow a crop. So they're very, very low subsoil moisture. And so I think it's, 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 it's going to be okay, but it's, uh, it's not going to be, you know, the, anything that's going to be record yield breaking or anything. Yeah, I know what you mean. The the effects of extended drought like this, when it's multiple years, the subsoil moisture is just gone in our area too. So, hopefully, hopefully things turn around soon and and we all catch a little bit more. Uh, Jason, great great talking to you again. I think it's been a little while, so nice nice to hear from you. And and hopefully uh, things keep going well for you. You bet. Thanks a lot. Brian, we had a question that came in on fungicide, and this one's from Adam. He, he said, hey, guys, uh, haven't done fungicide in corn before, and my last batch of corn is going to start pollinating, unfortunately, in the 90-degree temps <laughs> with high overnight temps. It's got me worried. What do you think about you, you always talk about plant health benefits, and fungicide can actually cool that canopy down a little bit. Yep. Will that help with pollination, or does fungicide right around this stressful time hurt pollination in any way? The fungicide will not hurt pollination, but what I would say is you have to make sure you're using an APE, NPE-free adjuvant with it. So just talk to your agronomist. They should know all about this, but you don't want to put the wrong adjuvant, like a regular crop oil or non-ionic surfactant with it. That could cause a problem. But the fungicide, no, it's not going to cause any issue. And yes, it is possible that it can lower the crop canopy temperature just a little bit, and that might help pollination. I, I would say we are real big believers on spreading risk. And that means planting lots of different hybrids. Darren and I were just talking about that before the show here. The average farmer does not plant very many hybrids on the farm. Whereas for Darren and me, we plant lots because we just quite frankly don't know what the weather is going to bring. But the other side of this is we want to spread out our pollination window. And I want pollen to be flying in all these fields for a long period of time because sometimes when you get that heat, then we just don't have good pollination right then. But if I have a longer window, you know, usually these stretches don't last very long, at least in our region of the country. So I, I, I mean, I'm just simply saying here, moving forward, I would also consider maybe planting two hybrids in every field planting more hybrids on the farm, things like that, to help you get through times like this. But yeah, if it's me, I'm still spraying fungicide. I'm not worried about it. We just got done spraying fungicide on corn on our own farm. Hopefully that helps us through the heat we're supposed to have next week. But, you know, things can change. It's just like two years ago. They were talking about super high temps for our Ag PhD field day. That day, smoke rolls in from where it was the west coast or canada something like that and all of a sudden it was 15 degrees cooler than they had predicted even that morning so you just never know the hot temps might not hit you anyway stay tuned we'll be right back it takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and corteva agriscience gets that Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we field heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to BattalionAmp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 Yield Saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 Yield Saver. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to North Dakota. We've got Norm on with us right now. How's it going, Norm? Good, Darren. How are you? Doing well. I'd be doing even better if we could catch a couple inches of rain. That would be tremendous. Well, you're in the same boat as us, I guess. Yeah, we're... We're definitely needing some pretty bad here. You know, it's amazing to me, and I think it speaks to how good most farmers are now of raising a crop that our crop's still hanging in there. I mean, there are some spots where, yeah, you just can't overcome sand but and, and no water. But for the most part, even the heavier ground, it, it's, it looks like there's at least a half a crop out there. Yeah, it, we're holding in there, like you say, it looks fairly decent yet but we've had some cooler temperatures which has saved us so far but the next week is going to be a little different story 80s to some 90s and no sign of rain in the forecast at all unless the straight thunderstorm comes across but it's been very spotty as far as rains too it's no general rain for quite some time here 
Yeah, I know there's I know there's some talk the end of the month here that we might be in a pattern that we could get some, but boy, it's anybody's guess that far out. So we just have to keep getting by. What uh, what does the small grain crop look like around you? Uh, not too bad. It's starting to fill. There's a lot of different stages. You know, some guys start early on wheat, some guys start early on canola, and then kind of flip-flop back and forth. And there was an agronomist that talked the other day, and he kind of does some yield checks across the pretty broad two-county area, and he said he saw 65 to 70 in some spots and then down to like 40 just in his said the prime window for planting he said was like may 20th to the 25th just based on the early heat we got and moisture situation and uh that's kind of a little bit late for you know small grains yeah seeding but he said that happened to be the the prime window this year from what he saw in yield yield and stand counts yeah, it is really hard to time that out from year to year as to when that's exactly going to be because you're right, it, it just all depends on when you're going to get the heat and if you're lucky enough to catch just a little bit of rain and those types of things. Uh, so, you know, being up in northern North Dakota, a lot of people don't realize there's corn raised in your area and actually some pretty nice corn. I've seen a few pictures from not too far away from you. The corn looked okay so far, at least from what I could see. What what are you seeing out there? Yeah, it's it's so... Uh six, seven feet tall. It's tasseling now for our early stuff, maybe a week now. Um, so yeah, it looks good. It's not three foot corn. As you've <laughs> yeah. heard, uh, you yes. know, there's some spots in Iowa and Nebraska that got three foot corn. We, we fortunately don't have that, but, um, we got good subsoil moisture, I think, and it's rooted down. It just, I mean, we're living on between two and three inches of rain since the season started. So it's been pretty, pretty scarce. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's no fun. That's no fun. Well, Norm, good luck to you no. guys. Hopefully you guys catch some rain. If we get some here, maybe we can back some up for you guys too. Yeah, try to share a little bit if you can. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Thanks, Norm. Really appreciate having you on. All right. Thanks, Darren. You bet. Uh, let's head down to Kansas. I know it's going to get pretty hot there to the next week or so. Uh, Charles, how are you doing? Oh, we're doing great today for July, and it being 77 degrees, so we have no complaints today. Yeah, you get a little bit of a break, but, man, it sounds like 90s, maybe 100-plus here coming up. What I guess, is that what you're hearing, too? Yeah, that's what we're hearing on that, so uh, it's going to be uh, gonna be a rough week. Um, you know, Typically, this time of year, we have about three weeks of these all set in here, so I hope this is just an anomaly, and we're just going to get one week out of the way, and we can get back to some nice weather. You know what, a lot of farmers in Kansas, now granted there's a big difference from the eastern side of Kansas to, to the western side, but I mean, a lot of guys raise some pretty tough crops that can handle some of that heat, whether it's sorg, sorghum or soybeans or, or other things. Uh, what are you seeing? What are the crops looking like right now, and are there any that are kind of standing out? Well, right now, of course, as you guys know, we're we're coming out of a drought, at least I hope we're coming out of a drought, but... Uh, we just don't have the subsoil moisture we would like to have, so I mean we could slide back into this pretty easy. But we've been uh, been pretty fortunate last uh, I'd say couple weeks getting these nice little half inch rains or an inch rain or something like that. So right now, I mean the corn's looking pretty decent, the milo's up, beans are up, everything's nice. But it, like I said, it could backslide uh, just as easy as it go forward. So we're living on these rains. Uh, week by week, which was, which is really great. But, uh, yeah, we're definitely not out of the woods, but, uh, 
hey, everything's green. It's been almost a year since it's been this green, so we'll take it. Yeah, you? absolutely, absolutely. So what are you working on now, Charles? Well, right now, um, right now we're just kind of looking at the fields and checking them out. Uh, unfortunately, through our area, about through the central part of the state, uh, this Sunday we had some major hailstorms come through, baseball-sized hail, 80-mile-an-hour winds. So we got some corn that looks uh, really good, and we got corn that's only a foot tall, and we'll wait for the adjusters to come out for that. So uh, just like uh, my friends in Nebraska showing me pictures and all, all over, we get those storms but uh, we haven't developed that corn plant that can withstand the hail yet, so. <laughs> no no I, I was actually talking with a couple of my boys this week and they said what happens when a hailstone hits right on a corn plant just directly down from the top i'm like well you can imagine guys it's it's not going to be good but <laughs> we were just talking about the good. difference if uh, just a few hailstones fell and they fell straight down but when they come with an 80 mile an hour wind uh that's like a mower out there yeah, you might as well get the swather out and take a look at it. But then I know we're keeping busy doing some haying and, and getting stuff uh, uh, put there. So you guys know as everybody, it's it's never a dull moment. There's always something to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Charles, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your day to talk to us. We really appreciate that. Well, thank you much. And, um, yeah, keep sending some of that uh, rain best way. We'll take it any time. You bet. You bet. Yeah, everybody wants a little bit of rain this time of year. Every year, Brian, this year well, with, not, with not enough not enough subsoil moisture, it seems like it's even more important. Not everybody. I was talking to an agronomist this morning from Pennsylvania, and he said they've had a tremendous amount of rain and lots of humidity for the last three weeks, and that, he believes, has led to a whole bunch of tar spots showing up there. So we know that tar spot is the worst disease you can get in corn, and so we're just encouraging people, hey, if you've got the conditions that are ripe for tar spot or even maybe uh, close to ripe for tar spot, probably better be doing something. So he was just asking me what he should do for fungicides, and I said, look, there are a lot of fungicides that are labeled now. I, I, I mean, I can think of probably eight right off the top of my head, but... The big thing that we're going to always suggest, if you're going to be out spraying fungicide at this time of year, going after some tough diseases, is there probably isn't just one disease that could hit you. So we want to have something fairly broad spectrum, and it's really nice, just like we talk about weed resistance, we want to talk about disease resistance. And so that means using multiple effective modes of action whenever possible. Now, the, the strabilurin family, that's the one we talk about a lot for plant health, like headline, for example. And that was the one we were saying earlier in the show. It could lower the crop canopy temperature just a little bit, along with giving the plant, uh, the plant will produce less ethylene usually, and it'll have more antioxidants after the use of one of those strobes. But the whole thing is we've seen a lot of disease resistance with the strobes. So if you go out on your farm and spray straight headline, probably isn't going to kill many of the diseases that you have, but it does give those plant health benefits. The good news, though, is what we're still seeing out of the strobes is at least some level of control on tar spots. So what I'm trying to say here is a lot of people now have gone to these three mode of action products like Delaro Complete, Maravis Neo, Triva Pro, uh, Revitec. There are a bunch of them out there, or they make, make their own mix to get three different modes of action, one being the strobe. Well, what I'm trying to say here is if you use a three-mode of action product, you may have three effective modes of action then on tar spot because, yes, the triazoles are good. Yes, the SDHIs are good, but the strobes are also pretty good too 
on tar spot, at least at this point. So just something for you to be thinking about. But anyway, this agronomist was all worried because of, you know, supply issues and everything else. It's like, well, is this the right fungicide or that one? It's like, look, the main thing is that you spray a fungicide, and especially when it's multiple modes of action, I'm going to feel pretty good about that. There isn't, let's say, one or two where I go, oh, wow, this is just head and shoulders way above everything else. Sure, there are good ones, and there are some that are maybe a hair down from that, but most are pretty good on tar spot. Just use something that has two or three modes of action. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro. The future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. 
Got Dave with us right now over in Wisconsin. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I, I heard this in South Dakota, and I'm betting you heard the same thing in Wisconsin. With all the snow we've got, man, we should be in great shape for moisture. Well, that didn't amount to anything here. I'm not sure. What, what do you guys in Wisconsin think about that? We had the same thing. We were in a severe drought last year. Uh, we had good snowfall uh, over winter. The ground didn't freeze, so all of the snow melted in. It looked really good at the start of spring, but we just have not been getting any rains. We're still in a moderate to severe drought. Uh, Rainfall is very sparse since the first part of May. Uh, crops look pretty good for the lack of moisture we've had. I, I can't say anything too bad there. Uh, some people that planted later in May, when it was really dry, there was some uneven emergence, especially those that did no-till in the old rye or alfalfa fields, took the first cutting and then did it. Uh, silage corn in our area last year was about two, two feet shorter than normal. There's a lot of dairy in our area. It looks like they're going to be in the same boat again this year. Um, this spring when I sprayed my crops, uh, mostly the corn, uh, it was sprayed very end of May, early June. Um, very dry at the time, hot, uh, killed the broadleaf pretty good, but it didn't hardly touch the grasses. Uh, it actually came back and had to spray a second time, and it still took probably two weeks before it finally worked, but I think that's mostly because it's just so dry. Yeah. Put on urea and AMS and uh, boron for the corn, uh, top dressed it, and I had probably as bad a nitrogen burn as I think I can recall in many years and i asked the pioneer seed rep and the co-op agronomist and they both say at least in our area the burn is probably the worst we've had in a number of years so hey how about that boron dave have you been adding boron to that application for quite a while or is that something new this is something new i did it for the first time this year i don't know if that had something to do with it i added an extra 50 pounds of ams but it it burned it pretty good Sure, sure. With the with the boron, what triggered that? Did you know you were short of boron? Did you just hear that, hey, that's helping things out? Or what, what kind of got you to do it? I know I'm short of boron a little bit. So spoon feeding it, I got pretty light sandy soil. So I tried sure. to spoon feed it and thought I would put it on. I didn't get a chance to put it on with any starter fertilizer. I would have had to make a separate trip and had manure put on instead. So I just put a little bit of that on. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm just curious about that. I know that one's been yeah. a, a nutrient of interest. And like you say, on lighter soil, that's, yeah, I hear a lot of guys saying the same thing. We're short. We just got to get it out there somewhere. And the question is, when can we do it? And what application exactly. can you work things in on? Yep. Oh, well, awesome. That I would awesome. have a question. What, what did you say? I would have a question. Oh, for sure. You. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I just, uh, next year, I was probably looking at maybe in the past, I've been trying to do just the vertical tillage pass uh, before I plant soybeans, but I was wondering if you had any suggestions for a good burn down uh, if I were to no-till it. I have, I'm going to plant enlist beans, and water hemp is a problem for me. In the past, I've used uh, just a vertical tillage pass, so, and then uh, zidua down, and then follow with a post with uh, enlist roundup a generic dual and a generic select to get the volunteer corn. 
because of a light soil, I can't use a product like a Sencor or anything. You got anything that would be a good burn down, uh, you think, on no-till? And when they say water hemp may not uh, be growing actively until mid-May, that's I don't find that to be the case on my farm. I, I can find it growing by the end of April already. So. Yeah, a lot of times what we're doing, even in the lighter soils, is we're going to be talking to people about valor or authority. So, I mean, Zidua is fine. It's just a group 15, and that's going to be real similar to the dual that you're using post-emerge. The PPOs, uh, namely valor and authority, are just much, much, much better on the water hemp. They also give you some burndown activity. If you need a lot of burndown activity, let's say there's a whole bunch of water hemp that's already started, honestly... We're probably just going to tell you to throw in some enlist one at that point, some 2,4-D, and burn that back. Now, as people are listening to us say, use 2,4-D as a burn down in front of soybeans. That's in front of enlist soybeans. We don't normally like 2,4-D in front of, of soybeans at all unless they're tolerant to the 2,4-D, which Enlist is. So that's probably what I would do. The, the, I, I have no issue with your post-emerge program. It's just on that pre-emerge program. If it's me and it's my farm, I would be adding in Valor or Authority. And if I need more burn down, I'd throw some 2,4-D in. Okay. Any problems with the 2,4-D or the Enlist, I should say, if you put it on pre-plant or just nope. wait for the beans to pop a little bit? Uh, you Well, okay, Valor and Authority have to be out there before the beans emerge. Before. Yes. Yep. So, yep. So, I mean, Zidua, you can go either way. The 2,4-D, since it's in list beans, you can go either way, pre or post. But the Valor and Authority has to be on before those beans come out of the ground. And when... When I say that, don't think the beans can be cracking and, oh, they're going to come out six hours from now. That's still too late. <laughs> so they're pushing yeah. the dirt and they're they're a little yeah. bit exposed. So just be careful on that end of things. But, yeah, I, I mean, we'll use Valor or Authority on every single acre on our farm and water hemp's the number one weed we're after. Okay. Good. Thank you. You bet. Yep. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. See ya. All right, Brian, uh, get a question that came in here from... Um, Colorado. This one is from Paul. He said, uh, Hey guys, appreciate what you're doing. I got a couple, I got two questions for you. First of all, this one sounds a little strange, but I've had several guys in my area in Colorado that say that Prowl H2O, where they've used that, they have less weevils in their alfalfa fields. Is there something to Prowl that would have any kind of impact on a bug, or is there just something else that's a factor? Sure. You've hurt the alfalfa is the problem. So, Alfalfa weevils and all bugs, they like crop that's going to be nutritious and healthy, and they want lots of eating. Yeah, and juicy. So, yep, yep. So, yeah, prowl, uh, we never, ever recommend on alfalfa. It's just too hard on it. So what we instead like as a pre-emerge is Eptam. Now, granted, that's got to be incorporated, but it's dramatically better in terms of overall weed control and it's way safer on the alfalfa. So that's our recommendation, and that's my assumption, is you're hurting the alfalfa or somebody's hurting the alfalfa with the prowl, and that's why the bugs don't like it. All right, uh, other question Paul had. He said, uh, we would like to do a field day in our area, and obviously you guys have been doing this for a long time. Just wondering a couple of questions. How do you draw such a good crowd, number one? <laughs> number two, uh, what kind of, if we're just doing this, uh, for our local area, we're thinking 100 or a couple hundred people. Uh, 
we would like it to be an annual event to say thanks to everybody and, and what they're doing and not trying to push a product or anything. But uh, just curious, how, how do you get the word out? How can we start from nothing and, and start to have something locally here? Well, I would just say you have to think about what do the farmers in your area want? And if you are providing something they want, and then you spend a lot of time promoting that and a lot of effort promoting that, and then you give them a great experience when they show up, those are kind of the key things to making it good now and then in the future. So I'll just tell you a quick story, like at our own field day. This is something that I say to our people. And in fact, I just sent something out again saying this exact same thing, but I've said this for years and years. Uh, and let me let me just tell a story quick along with this first. So I just remember back, this is, I don't even know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I heard this story about Michael Jordan. So at the time, he was the greatest basketball player there was. And anyway, it was late in the season, some meaningless game, a regular season, I'm saying. They already had everything locked up for playoffs, and he's just playing as hard as he possibly can in a game. And so afterwards, one of the reporters asked him, you know, what are you doing? I mean, why are you pushing it that hard at the end of the end of the season? You don't need to. And he goes, look, there's probably some family that showed up here with their last dollars, but they wanted to see me play. I'm giving everything I can for them. And I just tell the people that work at our field day, look, um, there are people that have driven all over from all over the country, traveled from around the world to be here with us. So be for that one day, the happiest, smiliest, friendliest person you've ever met. We want people to have an amazing experience when they are at our field day and want to come back again. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, 
We discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Bring up this one that came in from Josh, and he said, Guys, I may have got myself in a little trouble here. I'm in north-central Oregon, and I was spraying at the end of June. I had 44 ounces of 5-pound Roundup. I had 15 ounces of Husky, which is, which is a good strong rate of Husky. Uh, I also had a, a sticker drift agent surfactant combo product, and and I put in a gallon of MSO per hundred. I was spraying at ten gallons of water per acre. Weather was upper sixties for temperature. Wind was six miles an hour, and I was trying to knock out some Russian thistles and some China lettuce or prickly lettuce in some chemfowl. Well, I just spot sprayed. I had a drone map my weeds and maybe spraying 10% of the field. But my neighbor says I yellowed up his locust tree leaves. Now, in my uh, observation, half of the locust trees have been dead for years. So I'm just curious, would that combo, just spraying that small quantity, would that be responsible for spraying a tree at the end of the field? Does it say was the wind blowing toward the trees? No, he doesn't make that comment. Well, that's I'm assuming a... it probably was. Otherwise, he would have said, okay. "Nah, the wind was blowing." Well, let's away. talk. All right. Well, let's talk about it both ways. If it was blowing away, there's zero chance that that caused the problem. Yeah, because none of those none of those are going to volatilize. Right. The husky's going to stay where you put it. The, so is the roundup. The roundup's going to stay where so you put the MSL. it. So once once it lands right. that day. Now drift. Yes, if you're blowing Physical that drift. way. Yep. Let's just say that it was blowing that way. Uh, the roundup. Uh, that would cause some serious damage. The Huskies got an HPPD in there. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking great big locust trees? No way. How much Roundup? 44 oh. ounces. No way. And you go try, You go try to kill a tree with 44 well, ounces I understand. and you go, I understand not a chance saying. in he the world. He didn't say it died. No He's way. saying it yellowed it. Ah, no way. Uh, the Husky, yes. I would say the HPPD in there, it's possible if enough got on there. But like he said, he only sprayed maybe 10% of the field. So what are the odds that happened, especially with only a 6-mile-an-hour wind and 60 degrees? I mean, the temperature doesn't make all that much difference, but I'm just saying it's not like it was ridiculously hot or anything else and we got a lot of evaporation. Uh, I don't know. It, it it's possible, but it's highly unlikely, and there's no possible chance you've killed his trees. So if the leaves are a little bit yellow, could they be yellow from that, or could they be yellow from a bug, a disease, uh, too much water, too little water, uh, you know, all these other factors? I'd say those things are probably all more likely, 
But, you know, it's really hard to say without doing an investigation ourselves. But, yeah, if it's blowing toward those trees, it's possible you could have yellowed stuff up a little bit. But the the guy's not going to lose his trees. All right. Thanks for the question. Good luck to you, too, Josh. Uh, AJ had this. He said, guys, humic acid. If I've got sandy soil, how long is it going to stick around? Is it something that's going to impact me for a week or two, or is it something that's going to impact my crop all year? Um, I mean, did he say what kind of rate? We're no, talking about? that's okay. the big thing, AJ. Well, and I was thinking the same thing. Well, it, let's just say that you used gallons and gallons. Yeah, of but it. you're not. Who's who's doing that? You're you might use a gallon. Okay, is it going to stick around that long? No, a month. Sure, I could see that. To think that it's going to be there three months from now, no way. So it's it's relatively short, but it's, it very well could be longer than a week or two. And here's the thing. A lot of people worry about stuff like that. Quite frankly, it's, it's different than if we're talking weed control or insect or disease control. Because with those things, it's plain as day. Hey, my weed control ran out. My disease control, my insect control, the bugs are back you're never going to know what the humic acid. So it doesn't really matter is what I'm trying to say. The answer to this question, all we ultimately care about is, did it pay? You spent money on humic, did it pay? So just just look at that and I wouldn't try to overanalyze it too much. Our belief is you're probably going to get maybe up to a month's worth of activity out of that. But ultimately, hopefully it's impacted yield. It's a positive thing and you do it again. If not, I guess you can keep trying it a little bit and just see. But sooner or later, if you don't get an economic return, obviously you can't do it. All right. Thanks for the question. Get this one from Jamal. And Jamal said, guys, uh, I need fertility information and nutrient removal information on pomegranate. Obviously, you don't have that in your Ag PhD nutrient uptake app. I'm just curious, how hard is it to find data like that on crops that aren't grown on a huge amount of acres like pomegranates in my case? Uh, well, a lot of times it is a challenge. There isn't a lot of data out there. I don't know really who to have you turn to. I just, I mean, let's put it this way. I ran into situations like these where it's real strange, oddball kind of questions. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your crop or anything. This is an oddball crop. I it, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying when I run into things where it's like nobody has an answer for me, I just do as much searching online as I can, try to find some published research that's out there and kind of go from there. Otherwise, ultimately, what a lot of times I'm doing is I'm just experimenting with things because quite frankly, like for Darren and me and on our farm, we have a bunch of things where it's brand new products, brand new technologies, whether it's seed, genetics, traits, equipment, whatever, and it's trial and error. So uh, yeah, you want to look as long as you can and try to find something that's helpful for you. But if not, you just have to start trying things. And then here's the other thing. What we will typically do, like for us as agronomists, is we will relate one crop to another crop. So let's say it's a grass crop, and then I kind of look at, okay, most grass crops are like this. Or if I've got some crop that's similar to soybeans, I go, all right, here's what I know about soybeans, and let's let's try to extrapolate the data a little bit. So just try to find something that you feel like is fairly similar to pomegranates, and then at least start there if you can't find anything specifically on your crop. 
Thanks for the question. I got this one from PD. He said, "Hey, one of your one of your guests you had on your show just the other day. I think he was one of Neil Kinsey's guys. He mentioned soil conditioner. Do you guys use soil conditioners at all? Can you speak about soil no. conditioners and why folks might look into that? Okay, no, we don't because what we've tried to do over time is get the soil fixed and and long term long term yes. just look at okay where do we want to be rather than right. short term i need something immediate yeah so i will tell you many years ago i i just thought soil conditioners come on there there's no way that's going to help but then i was talking to a company that works with golf courses around the united states and they said no you get, we get the, these spots in the greens and legitimately we use this soil conditioner and all of a sudden then the the water can now go into that spot in the green on the golf course because that spot is dying and it's just water isn't penetrating right there so there are some cases where i can see that but let's put it this way um, we have lots of tools in life and i'll just give you the example uh, in terms of human health a lot of people want the quick fix and they're looking for oh i'm going to take a pill for this or that or anything else um, I don't believe in that uh, quick fix if I can s- solve the problem long term and change whatever I have to change in my body so I don't need the pill. So I, I'm just as a as a quick example, this is kind of the same thing here. If I can fix my soil, I can increase my water infiltration, then hopefully I don't need that soil conditioner and now I'm in good shape. So sure, in the short term, Try some if you've got massive issues, but the biggest things we talk about for water infiltration are these. Uh, Number one has to do with calcium levels. We want those calcium levels in your soil high, 65 to 75, even 80% I can live with. Uh, Then we want to try to build soil organic matter, and in part that means you're going to need to reduce tillage and get more residue that's even on the soil surface whenever possible. You start doing even those two things right there, and it's going to help you a lot. Now, we also talk a lot about drainage here and, and tile, and part of the re, a big part of the reason why is we need to flush out excesses. If you've got ex, excess magnesium, excess salt, excess sodium, these are all things that can destroy soil structure and cause problems with soil health and water infiltration. So... We need to do everything we can to minimize compaction because that allows water to get in. Well, good drainage in the first place is a great start. Hey, thanks for the question. And uh, we have been getting a lot of questions about the Ag PhD Field Day as well. There's a very detailed list of exactly what's happening at Field Day. You can start planning out which learning sessions you want to go to, what things you want to see. Just check it out at agphd.com. And while you're there, pre-register if you're coming to the Field Day as well. Thanks for listening to our show, and please join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.